Proper parenting has been vastly and greatly, by and large, misunderstood and misconstrued for a real long time. It's been that way since the first parents, Adam and Eve. Today on Keeping It Real, a clear distinction will be made between being a parent and being parental, and how one can be a parent but not necessarily be all that parental. This episode of the podcast will call to account everyone who is a parent or plans on becoming one. But this calling to account will be unlike the psychobabble you hear on self-help outlets on TV or the internet, and it will be unlike what you hear in a lot of churches or Christian seminars and retreats. Instead of focusing on, quote-unquote, being more of a parent, or quote-unquote, trying harder as a parent, today's Keeping It Real will look for something of far greater quality and something that's far easier. Welcome to the Keeping It Real podcast. Are we tired of fake stuff? Shouldn't we turn down a stale brand of living? It's time to open our hearts to Christ. It's time to keep it real. Here's your host, Ollie Gee. All right, greetings, and welcome to another episode of the Keeping It Real podcast. I'm your host, Ollie G. And if you have missed any of the prior episodes, I greatly encourage you to get on to kirradio.com. Again, that's kirradio.com, and you can check out all the prior episodes on that site. And they are all there, and I encourage you to do that because all the episodes build off of one another, which helps us understand the content of this episode entitled Being Parental. And there is uh, all kinds of trains of thought out there on parenting or what being parental is, and we're going to kind of shake it all out here today. I'd like to start off by highlighting three different categories of parental action. Three different categories of parental action. First one being inaction. That is not doing much of anything. That is, it is void of righteousness. There is no uh, perception of righteousness. There is no pursuit of righteousness. Righteousness is null and void. It is empty. Any action that is done, it is emptied of righteousness. So the first action is inaction. The next action is superficial action that we will discuss some as well superficial action, that primarily being action done to glorify self or to be self-fulfilled, selfish. The next category will be divine action, which we'll probably spend the most amount of time on. Divine action, that is action out of true love. And I will expand on that and explain that further as we move along in this episode of the podcast. Being parental is different from being a parent. Okay, Uh, not to go into a very fundamental sex education class talking about the birds and the bees, but I think pretty much everyone listening to the sound of my voice knows what it takes to be a parent. Anyone who has a biological child, but not just a biological child, if you've adopted a child, uh, you are a parent. Um, So all of us that either have biological children or adopted a, a child we are parents or described as parents. That is different or separate from being parental. Parental is ought to be driven by and driven on love. Now, I don't want that to be perceived as a catchphrase because again, I will expound on that as we move along here. But being parental is driven by and driven on love. Being legitimately parental involves moving from inaction or moving from superficial action to being driven by and driven on love. Being parental has 
two characteristics that we are going to lay out here on Keeping It Real today. Being parental, first of all, has love that shares. Now, we're going to dive into two specific parents in the scriptures, two of the greatest models in the entire course of human history of not only the fact that they were parents, everyone recognizes that they were parents, or unless you're an atheist, uh, recognizes that Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus Christ, were parents. Recognize that, but they were parental. And we are going to slice and dice so many different ways in how they were parental, highlighting two things that they carried out and that every parent should carry out in being parental. And that is being parental has love that shares and has love that secures. First of all, love that shares. Mary shared her love for the Lord, especially, but also for her son. And obviously there's a much added thing to this. There's a much added element to this being that she's pregnant with the son of God. But Mary was eager to share this. She could have kept it quiet. She could have kept it a secret. She could have been totally silent about this. But she was eager to share the news. But not just the news, share the experience. And she's sharing the experience with Elizabeth in particular in Luke chapter 1. She shares the news with her aunt. But not just because Elizabeth is her aunt. There's something way more going on here. And again, this is where so much Christian teaching nowadays is so shallow, so diluted of any kind of substance that it it's so discouraging to the listening ear and to the hearers who listen to messages on this week after week uh, or subjects like this. Mary was eager to share this news with Elizabeth. Yes, Elizabeth was her aunt, but there's something way more going on here. It says in the scriptures, and I'm going to start off reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, now Mary arose. This is after she discovered that she is pregnant and that she's going to give birth to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. An angel of the Lord appealed, uh, appeared to Mary, and Mary says in verse 38 for context, let it be to me according to your word. Because she was confused and she had every reason to be confused because she didn't have any sexual relations with any man. And that's exactly what she expressed to the angel of the Lord. I have known no man. How can this be? And the angel describes to, to her that what will happen with her and in her and through her is supernatural. It is of God. And then she responds in faith, says, let it be according to your word. The very next verse reads, in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1, reads, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. Now I love that phrase, with haste. Another translation puts it, she hurried. I like with haste better. It's, it's a lot more descriptive. So she goes with haste. Why would she go with haste? I mean, wouldn't she be eager to share this with her parents, with her peers, her friends in Nazareth? No, 
Chances are there were a lot of people that didn't understand. In fact, the scriptures make it pretty clear that they didn't understand when she returned from Elizabeth's place and she was showing that they didn't understand and they were ready to stone her. They were ready to just totally nail her against the wall because they believed that she had had sexual relations with someone while not being married. And that was a devastatingly brutal sin to commit back at that time in that culture, in the Jewish culture. So Mary was going to Elizabeth's house with haste. And listen, she was eager to share the news with who could connect with her. Now, it's not just the fact that Elizabeth was a great aunt, although I'm sure she was. That's not that simple, or this is not that simple. Elizabeth doesn't, Mary doesn't just think Elizabeth's going to connect with her in this great way just because she's her aunt and she can understand because they're family. Mary had other family members. She didn't hang with them in this most incredible, in this most amazing time and point in her life. She goes to Elizabeth because she knows Elizabeth can connect with her. Why can Elizabeth connect with her? Because Elizabeth had the same kind of walk with God as Mary had. They were both on fire for the Lord. Elizabeth was married to a man, Zechariah, who was on fire for God, that regularly went to the temple to pray and to pour his heart out to God. But it wasn't only that Elizabeth was the person that Mary went to because she knew that Elizabeth could connect with her based off of her being her aunt, and both of them being vibrant, energetic sisters in in the Lord, she knew that Elizabeth could connect with the news. Elizabeth was pregnant. Elizabeth was pregnant with a child in old age. They were way, wait, Zechariah and Elizabeth were way past childbearing age or what would have been considered childbearing age at that time. People, women were getting pregnant and having babies It was not out of the norm to be 18, 20 years old or in their early 20s. Elizabeth was in her late, very late 20s before becoming pregnant with John the baptizer. And so this was considered probably in to put it in more current common or current language. um, It would be like some a woman being beyond 40 getting pregnant today would have been equivalent to how Elizabeth was pregnant with child back then. So Mary knew that Elizabeth could connect not only with her, but could connect with the news, could connect with the reality of Mary's pregnancy, because the supernatural of Mary's pregnancy is the same kind of supernatural pregnancy that Elizabeth had the chance to experience. Now, Elizabeth wasn't pregnant with Jesus Christ. She wasn't pregnant pregnant with the Son of God, but she was pregnant with something that was foretold to her husband and to her by God. They knew, Zechariah and Elizabeth both knew, that the child that they were having wasn't just any child. This was going to be John. His name was going to be John. They knew this was from of God. They didn't know exactly what kind of man John would grow up to be, but they knew something was in the divine works of something incredible for the kingdom. And that is what Mary gravitated to and what Elizabeth reciprocated to when Mary came to town because Elizabeth got so excited. If you read on in this passage, and I won't read all the verses, 
But for those of you who know the story, and if you don't, I encourage you to check out Luke chapter one, read it in its entirety. You will see how Elizabeth was excited to see Mary. Elizabeth has his attitude, what do I have the honor of the mother of my Lord coming to visit me? And then she explains or describes how John the Baptist, when she she's pregnant with John, and John leaped in her womb, and Mary's feeling this incredible, amazing sensation as well. There was this incredible moment between these two women. So Mary made her way with haste, the scripture says, to go visit Elizabeth. And she made her way with haste because she had this sense that this is exactly the kind of meeting that was going to go down when she went to go see her. It was complete jubilee. And it was love that Mary was eager to share. She was sharing the blessing of meeting with the angel of the Lord, hearing of the divine news. This is love that shares, and that is what being parental is. Mary was already being a parent before the child was even born because she's sharing the news. But she's sharing it not in a boastful way, not in a prideful way like a lot of parents do now. Oh, my kid's the greatest thing on earth or what have you. She's sharing it in from a point of humility. She's going there with haste, thinking, mentioning to Elizabeth, hey, you won't believe what has transpired. And Elizabeth is like, the baby leaped up in my womb. There was the, the content, the substance of the content was divine, not worldly. So Mary shares this love. Joseph also shares this love. Because I don't want to make mention, I mean, Mary gets a lot of the attention here when in these early chapters in the Gospels, prior to Jesus being born and upon Jesus being born. But I don't want to leave out uh, Joseph either, because Joseph also shares love. He obeys the Lord. How does he obey the Lord? Well, in Matthew chapter one, when Joseph woke up, okay, now Joseph was not on board prior to him going to sleep on this particular night. He was not on board. He, in fact, was like a lot of the other people in Nazareth. He's thinking something is wrong. Mary left. Now she's, uh, you know, coming back. And Mary got pregnant. And it's certainly not by me. I haven't even been around her, much less have had uh, been intimate with her. Um, so now Joseph's natural question is, well, how did she get to be pregnant? She had to have been sleeping around with somebody else, right? Well, Joseph goes to sleep. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. What did the angel of the Lord command? In the prior verses, it's the Lord's message through the prophet was, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Joseph has this dream, and not that he has this great skill to interpret dreams that, say, Joseph of the Old Testament had, or some other folks had, but he has this dream. He wakes up, and it, it, there's no debate. There's no discussion. He takes Mary to be his wife. Now, that involved a tremendous risk. 
Okay. But again, being parental has love and love that shares and not love like the world talks about love, about every which way and around every corner. This love is divine. This is love comes from straight from heaven. This love is of God. This love is saturated in the character of God. So Joseph obeys the Lord and he shares this love with his now new wife. He is willing to go as lowly, if not more lowly than Mary at this time. Because again, Mary is viewed as scum. She is viewed as dirt. She There's a perception she has slept around. And upon having this dream and Joseph wakes up, Joseph goes, you know what? I'm willing to endure that. I am willing to go through that as well if People are going to view her that way. They're going to view me that way. They can view us that way. That's okay. But for uh, as far as for us and our household, we will serve the Lord. We believe that this is of God. We believe that God is totally in this. And even though this we this goes way beyond our limited human understanding, our very limited and finite human mindset, we're going to trust God. So this is love that is shared. Not only did Mary share this with Elizabeth, Joseph shares this with Mary when she comes back, and Joseph is willing to go as low as necessary to share this with his wife because he's saying, no, Mary, you're not going through this alone, and yes, God wants me to take you as my wife, and I will do that, and I don't care what the public perception is going to be. Love, being parental has love that shares. People are in it together. And it's specifically brothers and sisters in Christ or people who know the Lord that are willing to go to the depths of the ocean floor with the Lord, if need be. How does a child get viewed now? Or how does a child get viewed by typically by most parents? Well, the question on the table is, is it a human act or is it a divine act? Most people view their children as just a human act or a human act only. Again, not to just get into the birds and the bees, but it's, you know, it's through intimacy and a woman becomes pregnant. And so there is a mom and a dad. That child gets born and that the child enters into the world. There is a mom and a dad. That's what makes a parent, but that doesn't make one parental. So being legitimately parental involves moving from inaction or moving from superficial action to being driven by and driven on love. And if a child is viewed as a human act only, that child will be greatly undervalued. That child only gets viewed in the light of it only having a mom or a dad and aunts and uncles and eventually friends or what have you. But if there's no God in the picture, there is no divine activity. And that is the reason why and how that child got to be born to begin with. Yeah, it takes a man and a woman, but the child does not get born apart from God. The child does not get fearfully and wonderfully made, as it says in Psalms, apart from God. The child is a divine creation. It is a divine forming, and it is done all by divine grace and love. If it's not viewed as a divine act, then the door is wide open for inaction or superficial action. The door is wide open for inaction in that it, it's void of righteousness. In other words, 
the same actions that the parents have had that have so many people are indifferent to all of the unrighteousness all of the wickedness that the parents have been indifferent to guess what the kid's going to grow up with that same mindset apart from being reached apart from being convicted apart from being transformed by the power of god that child doesn't stand a chance of understanding how they were even born how they even got here and that is a divine fashioning by a loving intelligent supreme designer known as almighty god and it leaves the door open for inaction if it's a human act only it also leaves the door open for if it's not inaction it'll be superficial action parents have that bumper sticker on their cars that i cannot stand it says proud parent of an honor student proud parent of such and such in school honor student well who cares how smart your kid is god is interested in having us see that any accomplishments that a child is able to make, they've only been able to make by the grace of God. God gives the opportunity. God leads the way. God's the one that is even responsible for them to even be in existence and for you and I to be in existence. Well, not only does being parental has love that shares, being parental has love that secures. Back to our parents that we're talking about here today, that we're using as uh, tremendous models, and that being Joseph and Mary, the mothers of or, or the parents of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we'll start with Mary. Let's fast forward now a little bit to when Jesus is born. That very familiar scene to even a lot of people who wouldn't describe themselves as religious or have a religious bone in their body. Uh, and I just use that word religious as uh, for lack of a better word. I, I don't like that word, but I relay that word because that's what most people use. We've now fast forward to the manger scene. Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem. God instructs them to go to Bethlehem. In other words, Jesus is not going to be born in Nazareth. He's not going to be born in Jerusalem. He's not going to be born in uh, places that would be a lot more of a natural prospect for the child to be born. He's born in the little town of Bethlehem. And as they get to this little town of Bethlehem, there's no place for them to stay. There's no room in the inn, right? Most of us know that part of the story. And there's no lodging. There's, there's just no place for them to go. And Mary is, she's not six months pregnant. She's not even eight months. She her water broke, okay? She's ready for this child to be born and they need to find a spot. And so the only spot that they can find is this manger. Now, don't think that that's some accident or it's just a random sequence of events. It's not. God had this all mapped out and taken care of. Mary had some swaddling cloths to wrap the child in. Now, think about this, because, again, they do this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's a long journey, an incredibly long journey by donkey. They're not going there by car or by bus. They're not able to hitchhike. They're not able to uh, even get there by tricycle. <laughs> they go there by donkey. So there's very limited amount of supplies that they can bring, a limited amount of food to last them for that duration of time. So they get there. And Mary has these swaddling cloths that she wraps the baby in. Most of us know that part of the story, right? They're in the manger. Jesus, just freshly born, 
She brought forth her firstborn son, it says in verse 7 of chapter 2 of Luke. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. She made the most of what they had for who they had. They didn't have a crib. They didn't have warm, comfortable clothes initially to wrap him in. They didn't have a swinging chair. They didn't have a pack and play. They didn't have any of that stuff. She wraps him in swaddling cloths. She makes the most of what they had for who they had. Think of the humility here. Not only in the love that secures as a parent from Mary to her son, but this is God's son. God, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, is not born at the Hilton in Jerusalem, not born at the most prestigious of hospitals in Judea. He is born in Bethlehem in a stable amongst a bunch of smelly animals. This is God's kid. That God says, this is going to be, this is good enough for me. This is all right. Because I want the world to see to the points of humility, the depths that I'm willing to go to, to help people to see that my ways are not man's ways. Kingdom ways are not worldly system ways. Listen, church, a lot of times things are done in the name of Jesus that actually are more glorifying to the world or that glorify the world only and aren't that God has no part in. So there's a lot of church activity that goes right in line with a worldly system way of doing things. And God is saying, I'm totally anti-world system. I'm doing something totally different, totally contrary to that. And Mary understood that, and she just takes swaddling cloths. It's all she had, but it's all God would have been looking for, for her, for his son and for her, for her physically born son coming from her womb. Well, not only does Mary have love that secures, Joseph has love that secures. How do we know this? Matthew chapter 2, verse 14. Before I read that, let's get a little background. Because the whole time leading up to Jesus' birth, news of a coming king has broken. This is all over the place. And it certainly reached Herod, who was the ruler of Jerusalem. And Herod is freaky scared about this because he's thinking this coming king is going to usurp his rule. And he thinks the king's an adult, but it's really not an adult. It's uh, going to be a baby. He doesn't know. News gets to him and news is spreading all throughout that it's a king. But Jesus didn't come to be king. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to die. He didn't come to rule. He came to die. But be that as it may, Herod doesn't understand this. And Herod then when he finds out it's going to be a child, he's asking for every two-year-old boy and younger to be put to death. So word is getting out that a lot of boys are going to die, and they did indeed die. So then God appears to Joseph, and we read in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So again, we have another, Joseph is asleep, we have another dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said, until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. I love this. Read the next verse. I, I love the word of God. 
That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. So Joseph has another dream. Where is it that love secures here? As soon as Joseph wakes up, he's going to safety, right? Because where they were, if they were going to stay where they were, even in the manger, as safe and as secure as a place as that was for the Lord to be born, it wasn't safe and secure for the Lord to stay there. They were going to find him and he would be put to death. But the Lord steps in and this is what love does. Love secures. And Joseph obeys the angel of the Lord, takes Jesus, takes Mary, and goes to Egypt. Now, I love this when it says that that night Joseph left for Egypt. Another translation puts it, when he arose, he took. I love that. So there's a little w wasting of time. It's it's like when Abraham, back in Genesis, when God communed Abraham to do that, the scripture says early the next morning, Abraham left with Isaac to go up Mount Moriah. So there's no debate here. There is straight up, straight up obedience. And that's what love does. That's what being parental does. It, it has love that secures. Joseph gets a word from God and Joseph wastes no time taking Mary, taking Jesus and heading to Egypt. Now, I want us to think about this, okay? Because he doesn't just take them anywhere. Right, He could have just left, and he could have left to go to Jerusalem. Bad idea. They were going to be found out there too, right? He could have taken them to just off out into the distant country. Probably bad idea. They probably already had very limited food, probably hardly any food or water, and not a good idea. They go to Egypt. Now, that doesn't sound like a good idea, right? Because the background with Egypt is Egypt and and the Hebrews were at odds. They have a history. Remember, the Jews were in Egypt for a lot of years. And then God paves a way for them to uh, leave Egypt. There were a lot of plagues that were involved with them being in Egypt. The, a lot of Egyptians died because of those plagues to enable the nation of Israel to be delivered from Egypt. Joseph believes God goes to Egypt, goes to this unlikely place. And says, yeah, we'll go there. So not only is Egypt an unlikely place, but then they go there for an unspecified amount of time. God doesn't communicate how long they're going there for. Are they going there just for a week or two, maybe a month, maybe a year? They don't know how long they're going there for. And all indications are they are there for a number of years in the most unlikely place for an unspecified amount of time going into it. So being parental has love that shares, but it also has love that secures. Being parental has a divine framework that already is in place. In other words, if you are legitimate, legitimately parental, it involves moving from inaction and or moving from superficial action to being driven by and driven on love. And it carries a divine framework that is already in place. In other words, the scriptures are already a priority. It is already a cornerstone. It is already at the core of the, of the livelihood of the people within a home. 
being parental has a divine framework already in place. It has the word of God at the at the center of what goes on in the heartbeat of that home. Not only the word of God, obviously prayer. Prayer is of emphasis. It is seen as vital, but not to make this sound like some traditional Sunday school class. There is a divine framework already in place, and that is Christ. And in Christ alone is the emphasis of that home. That is, there's not an emphasis on religious activity. There's not this drive just to become a better parent through listening to all kinds of mumbo jumbo out there or trying to do better as a parent. You know, if I listen to enough voices, if I listen to or read enough articles, somehow I'll measure up to becoming a better parent. No, Christ helps make the better parent. Being legitimately parental involves moving from inaction and or moving from superficial action to being driven by and driven on love. God is love. Love is saturated, consumed in the character and in the person of God. And when someone lets go, doesn't try harder, doesn't try to do more, doesn't try to go to greater degrees or greater extent to be noticed, that is all superficial action. When we move from inaction and from superficial action and allow, we let go and allow ourselves to be driven by and driven on love, then we become more parental because it's Christ living his life through us. Galatians 2.20, it's no, nevertheless not I that live, but Christ that lives his life in and through me. So there's a divine work already in place. There's a continual urge to be more Christ-like. Now, I want to read a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and this is a passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, this is a passage of Scripture that many scholars refer to as the pastoral epistles, okay? But in, in talking about the office of pastor, but again, the office of pastor, I just don't find really anywhere in the scripture. I believe this is more talking about apostolic workers, that is those who plant churches and those that are overseers, that is they continue to indirectly have an influence upon that church because since they are the founding person of that church, they continue to have news relayed back to them. And if need be, they come and revisit that church. Paul did that a number of times um, to kind of offer some uh, biblical counsel and some direction if a church were to have some difficulties or problems, the church of Corinth being especially a, a case in point of that. But here we have 1 Timothy chapter 3. A bishop then must be blameless and not, it gives, goes on, be sober-minded, be of good behavior, hospitable, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house well, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, this isn't true of just someone who's in quote-unquote ministry. I believe this is true for everybody. This is instruction for everyone. The implication of this scripture is not just for people who are in ministry. Yes, people who are in ministry need to manage their own house well, and if they don't, they really shouldn't be uh, in, in certain ministry. But this isn't just for people that are in ministry. This is for everybody. This is a challenge. This is an exhortation for everyone. 
And that is we are to be managers of our own house well. Mary and Joseph weren't in ministry per se. They were the just happened to be the parents of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were parental in having love that shared and in having love that secured. That's how they were parental. They were so when we read here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I read that as a description for all parents. Yes, it says oh, bishops need to have this, but it goes beyond just someone who's Apostle Paul-like or someone who's Peter-like. It goes to, that's a message for all of us. We are to be gentle. We are not to be covetous. We're not to be lovers of money. We are to be loving. That is what being parental is. And that happens as we allow Christ to live his life in us and through us. That is not through just reading our Bible more or praying more, although I love reading the scriptures and love praying, but it is Christ magnifying his life in the believer. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14 says, for the love of Christ compels us. That is the motivational thing to this concept of what we're talking about today, being parental. Parental misunderstandings. I'll close with this. And there's a ton of them, but parental misunderstandings are all about uh, what is characteristic of living in the worldly system that we live in. The worldly system says being parental is advised. We hear that oftentimes. If you want, if you are a watcher of any TV show or if you watch uh the quick excerpt before a TV show starts, it says uh, parental discretion is advised, right? And it's advised because of there being possible violence, sexual innuendo scenes, foul language, that those sorts of things. Being parental is advised is what the world says. But it's but listen, when it says that parental action is advised, it actually supports the options of inaction or superficial action. It supports a parent to be indifferent to that message because it's just advised. It's not really that big of a deal. It's just advised. So you can view that indifferently or you can take that seriously and shield your parent, your, your child, your son or daughter from that. But it's all through superficial action, right? Because you have made the decision. You haven't allowed someone far greater than you to make the decision. You've made the decision. I'm going to do this for my son or daughter because I'm going to be the responsible parent here. Well, those are the parental, some just a couple of the parental misunderstandings. To, I believe properly understand what being parental is. It's to understand how we are to live life for a kingdom other than this world. And there's only one other kingdom than this, than this world, and that's the kingdom of God. And that views being parental as necessary. But necessary as in it not being forced, like you're not going to take the bull by the horns and do it yourself, but it views being parental as necessary and that it's something that we want. It's something that we crave. It's something that's longed for, and that is done through laying our own lives down, pleading with God, stepping further into Christ, and beseeching him to raise our kids on our behalf. He's doing the child raising, not us. The statutes of the Lord found in his word are raising our kids. 
The principles and the concepts of God are raising our kids, not our ideas, not what we believe is best for our kids. We are allowing the person of Christ and his divine life as it's worked in and through us to raise our kids so that when our kids look at us, yeah, they see mom or dad, but who they really see is mom or dad hidden behind the cross. They really see Jesus when they look at mom or dad. That is what being parental is. Being legitimately parental involves moving from inaction and or moving from superficial action to being driven by and driven on love. If you enjoyed this edition of the podcast, I greatly encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. It's on Apple or on Spotify. And again, you can check out any prior episode at kirradio.com.